0: I think we are back on. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. And Mr. Panaz. do we have you this time? I think so. <laughs> How are you? There you are. Did you get to hear that great introduction I gave you?
1: I actually did. I was surprised you couldn't hear me.
0: Yeah, well, you know, we had a little technical difficulty, but it's all straightened out. You have 30 seconds to get your stuff in. No,
1: just kidding.
0: (laughs) Great to have you on, Steve. And for people who just tuned in, we had a little technical difficulty hooking up with Steve, but he's here now. Steve is a Hall of Fame angler. He's the host of the popular television show Lake Commandos, and he's a national ice fishing champion. And and you really are a good friend. We've come to know each other well through the industry, and uh, you're a good guy. And I'm glad to have you on, Mr. Panaz.
1: Well, thanks so much for the opportunity. It's always fun.
0: Oh, it is. We do. Um, hey, I understand you have a new show coming out or a new project. Tell me about it.
1: Yeah. So last year we uh, I worked with uh, Plano and Frayville and we launched a thing called College of Ice. We did it with Brian Brosdal. I know you've had Brian on over the years uh, as well. And so we started a live show. And uh, so this year we expanded uh, the concept, and we're uh, we're working with Garmin uh, to launch and, and highlight the, uh, the LiveScope. It's such a popular technology with ice anglers. And so it's Danny Thompson uh, is a co-host. We're going to launch it Sunday night at 7 p.m. Central time on Facebook. So it's going to be on uh, the Garmin Ice Fishing page. It's going to be on my page, Danny's and, and all that. But what's cool about it is we're going to have pros and talk products. We're going to talk uh, tech. But if you have LiveScope questions, you can actually ask one of the Garmin engineers. Troy Simonton, is going to be on every show for the next seven weeks, and he's going to answer questions from the audience um, that that write in. And the cool thing is too, if you uh, if you are listening uh, and participate through either sharing the show or or asking questions or commenting, you're automatically entered to win a Garmin LifeScope Ice Bundle with the new Lithium batteries. So. It's about a $3,000 prize, so uh, I'm excited. They're, these shows are a ton of fun. They're very informative, and I love how interactive they are, so I encourage everybody to join them. If they're not friends on uh, my page, uh, go to it, or, or even the Lake Commandos page, we're going to air it there as well.
0: All right, that sounds great, and we'll give that information again at the end of the segment. And, Steve, you know, bringing up Garmin and the Live Scope, and everybody's got a live-type feed now, uh, what's you were a national ice fishing champion quite some time ago. Could you have even imagined what would happen with ice fishing electronics?
1: No, I mean uh, when I started fishing, we had the little sea cup augers, and it took you two to drill a hole. And and now you've got this uh, technology that allows you to drill a single hole, cover about 200 feet. <laughs> so in any direct, you know, 100 feet in one direction, 100 feet in another direction, and, and look for fish. It allows you to be a little more efficient on the ice, but what I love about the technology is not as much catching more fish. I think that's part of it, but it's interacting with fish. I've learned more about fish behavior in the last three, four years using LiveScope than I had in twenty some years because we always got conditioned to watching uh, a flasher unit with a little dot going up and down, or a or a uh, you know a standard sonar which painted a little arch, but it was always just a stagnant thing. I mean, now I've watched schools of perch follow one up. Uh, you hook a fish and you watch 20, 30, 40, 50 other fish follow it up to the surface. I've never, I never knew that even happened before. And, and to watch walleyes, I watched walleyes migrate on uh, Minnesota's Lake Mille Lacs. I saw 50 or 60 fish one day, all swimming from the North to the South. <laughs> I just, things like that. I had never, had never even imagined before. And it's all because of technology.
0: Well, I'm going to veer from ice fishing just for a minute. And Greg Claudio, my longtime fishing partner, has a live scope. And we were on Black Duck Lake last summer, and there had been a huge mayfly hatch. The lake had been on fire. People were catching fish. You know, they're going to put on my tombstone. He should have been here yesterday, Steve. But anyway, it, uh, that mayfly hatch shut it down. But at certain times of the day, you could still, if you could find the fish, they would still go we were having a really tough time, but using a live scope, you could look into these pockets in the weeds, the fish that you couldn't even see that weed pocket without the live scope. And there would be three or four walleyes and you could pick those three or four off because you could find them in that live scope. And I'm sure they were in that weed pocket trying to feed. So they were a little more active and it really saved the trip. So I'm really impressed with that first time I actually got to fish with a live scope. It was pretty tremendous. You know, and, Getting back to ice fishing, even the auger manufacturers are starting to respond to the, the fact that we're, we're moving around different. We used to run and gun and drill 100 holes, and we'd put a flasher down there, and we'd work a lure. But with the electronics and the mapping we have now, sometimes we run and gun, and we just want enough hole to test the ice and get, get a transducer down there. And you're, you've, uh, you've been working with a manufacturer now that's making an auger that you can do that with a 4-inch hole?
1: Yeah, Razor Power, uh, it's the Orange Auger Company. I've been working with them for a number of years now, and they make it a, a, just an awesome lineup of, of drills that you can use, uh, you know, augers that you can use with the actual drills. Uh, they call it the uh, Scout, and they have models from four, five, six, seven, and 8 inches. And the great thing about that 4 inches, is it's too small to fish, but it's so easy to drill and if you're looking for holes in the, uh, if you're looking for holes in the weed beds, or if you're looking for specific fish, what I like to do is go across weed flats, drill a bunch of holes, walk back there with an aqua view and see what's down there, what type of weed, what type of fish, the size of the fish, and uh, you get a really clear picture of it. Um, the nice thing about using Livescope with perspective mount, which is allows you to look sideways. Uh, over the over the shallow weeds, is you can find these weed clumps and you can find these weed holes, and then go back through them with the cameras. But it's uh, again, it goes down to education. It's it's it helps you catch more fish. But really, what I love about it is as I understand where I'm fishing and what I'm fishing at a much higher level.
0: And these uh, aren't. Ooh these, um, electric augers now electric and hand augers. I assume the four inch, you probably just carry a four inch hand auger, although they may make a bit, but these electric augers have really come into their own, haven't they?
1: Yeah, it was funny. I was walking around the St. Paul ice show yesterday and, uh, I, what came up was, uh, somebody made a comment, Hey, somebody's still selling gas augers. And I, I had to admit, yeah, that is the case. And what I, I've, I've been running uh, the lithium, the, they, they, I mean, uh, the lithium 40 volt that Razor makes, you can drill 1,200 inches of ice with that before the battery dies, so if you just do the math, if you got 10 inches of ice, you know, it gets you a ton of holes, and uh, I, yeah. I've been, you're not dealing with gas, you're not dealing with oil, you're not dealing with stuff spilling in the back of your truck or in your fish house, it's really a great way to go.
0: Let's talk a little bit about some techniques. You're a national ice fishing champion, and I don't know if people realize, but to win those national and international contests really gets down to being a great finesse fisherman because you don't always have active fish or the ability to go find fish in those contests. So it can really be, how has that sharpened your skills? Has that affected what line you use? Has that affected the way you jig? Whether you use different types of rods? Is has that... Has that kind of honed your skills?
1: It really has, because what happened is uh, so we had the U.S. National Ice Championships in Minnesota, and, and I don't remember what year it was, but it was a long time ago, and I fished the event. I got on a school of uh, super active perch and crappie and sunfish, and I was fishing deep water, and most of the competitors were fishing super shallow water, so bottom line is after I won the event, I actually was invited to compete in the World Championships in Finland, we got off the airplane in Helsinki, and, and our local host provided us a bunch of local fishing gear. And now it, now it's pretty common around here. A lot of the tournament anglers use it, but palm, hand, you know, hand palm rods, uh, super lightweight line. They were using tungsten even way back then, and I was looking at hooks in the size you know, 20, 22, 24, 26, The hooks were so small that you had to run the line through the head of the jig and tie it off on the hook so you had a horizontal presentation. They were using blood worms. The Russian team was actually using boar hair as their their, uh, strike indicators. And I came out of there, I mean, I still think about that trip because I learned so much from the competitors from Finland, from Sweden, uh, from Russia. And, and it was a, a huge learning experience. And I carried that back to the U S and when I was competing in some of the panfish competitions, uh, you know, I, I'd go super finesse with the palm rods. The only time that I regretted it is I had about a five pound bass come in and we had a, a little pool on the biggest bass and he took my two pound test and took my jig. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> Well, we're going to run out of time here pretty soon, Steve, but when you talk about line, let's, uh, let's at least touch on that every ice fisherman we're doing our masters of ice fishing our legendary ice fisherman series which includes you of course and everyone i ask about what line the ice fish with has picked a different line what's your favorite line for ice fishing
1: you know i've really become a huge fan of fluorocarbon uh for a couple reasons one uh, it's much better than it used to be. It's much more supple. It's got great knot strength. Uh, it stretches, but it stretches slower than mono, so you get good hook sets even in deeper water. And I like the fact that it uh, it performs well in deep and shallow water. And so I, I'm a big fan of, you know, 3-pound, t- uh, 4-pound, 5-pound tests for most applications. I may go to 6 for walleye but it's uh, it it's, it does what I need. I, I'm not fishing braid as much as I used to, but I still like it. And I and I use mono a lot, especially in shallow waters, because of the stretch. Um, it, it provides a little uh, insurance, and it works extremely well. But I'm a big fan of it. Uh, Berkeley Trilene, they have the 100% fluorocarbon formulated for ice fishing, and it's it's tough to beat.
0: All right, that sounds really good. And you know, speaking of Berkeley, you and I are both big fans of the Gulp. Uh, lures i take those little jars of gulp i hardly take live bait out with me anymore i've come to have so much confidence in those artificials are you the same way
1: i am you know the one bait that uh, has blown me away is in the power bait line they make one called the mayfly and it's a small bait i'd love it to come out with in one size larger but it has appendages that stick out and it makes the bait glide so you Throw it on a horizontal jig, and when you when you pull up on it, it slides out in front, almost like a jigging wrap or some of the other baits, not nearly as aggressively. But, boy, I, I I can't tell you how many hundreds of panfish I've caught on that bait over the years.
0: Steve, we are out of time. Tell people again about the show.
1: Yeah, it's just going to be Garmin uh, Stone Cold Fishing Live. Uh, it's every Sunday night, uh, 7 o'clock. Uh, Central on Facebook, on uh, Lake Commando sites, the Panazza site, and uh, a number of other locations. And we just, uh, our whole goal is to have fun, talk ice fishing, and help others catch more fish. And so if you got questions on live scope or just general ice fishing, come on and check us out.
0: All right, my friend. Thank you for joining. Sorry we had a little mess up in the beginning. Glad we got you on. We'll talk again soon.
1: Thanks, Terry, and Merry Christmas to everybody.
0: Yeah, Merry Christmas to you, too. Thanks, Steve Panaz. Great, great guy. We're going to take a very short time out, minute or two, and then we're coming right back, and Colorado State Parks is going to tell us about teaching the history of public land on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan.
2: Just take those old records
0: You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Let's go right to the phones. And joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is uh, Laurel Teal. Good morning, Laurel.
3: Good morning. Can you hear me? Okay.
0: I can hear you just fine, and you're enthusiastic. And I, I, you know what? I've been looking forward to this segment because after talking to you in the week, you are so enthusiastic about this, and your your energy just comes through on it. And I really like that. And folks, but you know, we talk on this show all the time about wildlife management about parks management about parks activities about fishing and hunting but Colorado Parks and Wildlife does so much more with their properties and offers so many other forms of both recreation and education and I think sometimes people aren't aware of all the wonderful opportunities you guys present and that's kind of what you want to talk to us about today isn't it Laurel?
3: Absolutely. Well, as you said, sir, uh, you know, when people usually come to their public lands, the first thing folks think about is recreation. Uh, I work at Chatfield State Park. People will come to Chatfield to take their boats out on the water, go ice fishing in the winter. But I think one of the other big drives of people to their public lands, and especially their state parks, is this sense of place or this sense of meaning, uh, especially in time. And history can provide this, as can archaeology, paleontology, and geology. When we can successfully communicate the story of the land to the public, I think it gives Coloradans this sense of place, which is very important, I think, uh, for fostering this sense of stewardship of the land. It makes for more responsible hunters, more responsible fishers, boaters, swimmers, hikers, cyclists, uh, and just about any other use you can think of for our land. And often the story <laughs> of the parks is right under our nose.
0: Well, yeah, And, you know, we all go out there, and I think sometimes we don't take a minute just to take a breath and take it in. And, and, you know, even though there are park infrastructures at at a place like Chatfield, there's so much that's natural that was developed by nature along the way. And I think now you started doing a program at Castlewood Canyon, I believe, and now you're doing the one at Chatfield. And I think sometimes people don't realize how long ago human beings were using these areas because water just draws people in, doesn't it?
3: Absolutely. Take, for example, the South Platte River. Chatfield State Park sits on the confluence of the the Plum Creek and the South Platte, and we know that the South Platte River is millions of years old. Unlike the Mississippi or Missouri, it's never really changed its course. And it's been drawing people and animals to it since the Ice Age. Uh, Ice seems to be the uh, theme of the show today, and Chatfield's history really starts in the Ice Age. Uh, For example, just south of the park, we have evidence that people have been hunting and living along the South Platte in what is today Chatfield, for around 9,000 years. That comes from the Lamb Springs archaeological site where they found the bones of almost 30 mammoths, all with human cutting tool marks on them. So it goes to show you that humans have loved their state parks and especially Chatfield as a continuous human site for a very, very long time. That's a legacy we engage with every time we set foot on a state park.
0: I don't think we have a mammoth season anymore, though, in Colorado, (laughs) do we?
3: Oh, (laughs) unfortunately not, but that would be one heck of a big game season, I can assure you.
0: Um, But your goal, and you really are passionate about this, and it seems to be your calling, is not only to share this on the radio today, but to put programs together to share this with people on an everyday basis. Tell us what you're doing.
3: Absolutely. So, I think that two of the best ways we can communicate the the story of the land to visitors is through programs and through physical space. Like you mentioned, uh, programs are always very successful. I was able to run one at Castlewood Canyon State Park in October. It was a haunted history hike, so people came in because they wanted some uh, spooky Halloween activities, but they left with a a really strong sense of connection to the place. Um, Talking about even some of the darker history. When you learn how to communicate that and showcase it in a way that is not just fun but informative i think it gives people tools um they can look back at the past and feel empowered like oh maybe we can learn from this or you know at the very least take comfort of well at least it's not as bad as when the castlewood dam burst in 1933 Um, These guided hikes can be great as a one-on-one tool, but they can also be short programs that you'd bring to school groups and such. The other way that we can tell this story is through the use of physical space. And instead of putting up a museum or something just dedicated to history, I suggest that the best way we can use this is by using our commonly used spaces at our public lands. For example, at Chatfield, we've built up our new campground office, which you can come visit today, around the mammoth skull that they found digging out Chatfield Reservoir. This skull is currently on loan to us from the Smithsonian Institution, and it is 100,000 years old. It's one of the oldest mammoth skulls on the continent, and we're able to present it to our visitors every day. If you come in to register for a campsite, you can see it and read all about it. And we're hoping to use that space to put up more exhibits, not just about the past, but about how you can interact with the land in the present how to safely ice fish, how to deal with ANS when boating, everything like that. Ultimately, when you can do these two things, you place people into this flow of time that I think gives them a better sense of meaning.
0: Now, there's obviously resources at the park, and I'm sure that there's resources online that people can find out about what parks have to offer, but you've piqued my interest when you mentioned school groups. If there's somebody who's an educator out there saying, wow, I'd like to get my class out to that or a field trip out there, would they contact you? How would they do that?
3: All they have to do is contact the state park that they're interested in. Usually when you look up our website or if you see a brochure, if you're coming out for a hike, it'll have a phone number there. Um, through there, we can then funnel school groups into their respective ranger, volunteer, or administrator who is running groups or taking tours through. Uh, for example, at Castle Canyon State Park, we're a really popular site for third and fourth, fourth graders as they learn about geology. Um, throughout the autumn, educators were calling in to try to see if any of our volunteers or rangers could help lead guided hikes through the canyon and of course we love accommodating stuff like that because i think one of the best ways to learn is to do it hands-on and to do it in the great outdoors i think things really start to click for kids when they can actually see what they're being taught and be able to touch it and hear it and smell it and really interact with it as as part of the landscape
0: I think, you know, Laurel, we are out of time, but I think the message would be if people want to know more about the activities in the park near them, contact the park. Most of them have an interpretive center or a, a visitor center. Go talk to them. See what's available. Folks, you're going to find out there's so many more activities. Get off the couch and go for a walk in the park, but go check them out. Laurel, thank us.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: All right. Great, great presentation. Just your enthusiasm is contagious. That's Laurel Teal from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. We're going to take a quick timeout, and then when we come back, we're going to be joined by Jake Caves, a district wildlife manager, and we're going to talk about ice conditions kind of up in the Dillon, that area, and then we're also going to talk about ice safety. On Terry Wicksham Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 1043, the Fan. <laughs> He died way too young. Man was putting out some great music. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104 to be the fan, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Uh, Jack's has stores up and down the front range. If you're still looking for a Christmas gift for anyone in your family, stop by a Jack's location near you. You'll be amazed, and it's a lot easier than shopping at a busy mall. Let's go to the phone's. And joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Jake Kay. Good morning, Jake. Hey, good morning, Terry. How's it going? It's going really well, unless you're trying to get out and do a bunch of ice fishing trips. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Uh, But you know what? It's going to come soon. We always talk about this. We have different weather events, different things that happen going into it. And usually by the time we get through Christmas, we're all usually on the ice having a good time. But let's start out, and I said you're in the Dillon area. I don't know if that's quite right, but why don't you tell us kind of what's going on in your area. Is there anything frozen up, or is it all pretty open yet?
4: So, unfortunately, unless you go up to the high alpine lakes, everything's still open. Um, I'm in Summit County, and my fellow officers in Grand County, I, I checked in with them yesterday. They still don't have ice either, so... It's just been toasty up here. And that would include like uh Gramby and
0: Wolford and uh some of those lakes that are still wide open. Do you think there's uh, and then you're and then you have Dillon, are any of those lakes do you feel like they might be getting close with this weather coming up?
4: You know, I think we're not too far away. I I'm around Dillon Reservoir mostly and we did have a little ice form, but it's since gone away with the warm weather. Um, but, you know, we're, we're up here so high, especially here in Summit County, that it's definitely going to freeze um, sometime soon. And I know we have some weather coming up next week. Uh, those reservoirs in Grand County as well, uh, Lake Granby, Grand Lake, Shadow Mountain. Um, I think it's just a matter of time. So we're not too far off.
0: Yeah, and once and once that water gets that cold, once it starts to freeze, the nights are still very cold. Even if the days are a little warmer, it, it can freeze pretty quickly. The last one I want to ask you about, and we talked about this, um, Dillon Reservoir at the inlet there is very popular for Kokanee. Um But you're telling me not
4: only is there a lack of ice, but there's a lack of water this year. Is that the case? Right. The reservoir is drawn down pretty low. Um, and as we talked about it, it, it will probably freeze a little bit quicker in that inlet um, just because there's less water, um, but there is going to be less ice to fish in general. But it's a great spot, um, awesome place to spend a day, great views. Yeah, it's it's going to be pretty sweet once it ices up.
0: Well, you know, Dillon itself, now that you've got those Arctic char doing fairly well there, yeah. Um, when it freezes, it used to be almost a barren place to fish in the winter, but that's not the case anymore. You can have some really fun ice trips on the lake itself
4: other than the kokanee, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people are catching rainbow trout all through the winter. Uh, the opportunity for char, it's unique. It's, it's pretty amazing. They're cool fish. Uh, can't do it in the lower 48 outside of Maine. Uh, so really some pretty sweet opportunities up here, and the fishing's good all winter long. Okay. I just did get a, um,
0: a text line guy called in. He said, South park has some ice. We're going to talk to some of the people from tight lines later. So we'll see if we can verify that. But in the meantime, I'm afraid of there's a pent up demand. I think, you know, more people because of COVID and every other thing that's going on have gone outside and you've seen more anglers, more hunters, more people just using the parks. I think there's gonna be a big pent-up demand for people to get on the ice, both experienced ice anglers who can't wait now that the boat ramps are closed, and new people. And that always bothers me a little bit because when you get that huge demand, people tend to take some chances. And we really wanna talk to them a little bit
4: about ice safety, especially early, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. We've been seeing that in the last uh, year. Um, Just a ton of people getting out, like you said, new folks, and it's important. Ice fishing especially, but also any kind of winter backcountry recreation um, being safe. Avalanche safety and danger as well. But certainly there's some things we should probably talk about today for um, ice fishing safety. Good reminders and and for the new folks too. You bet. Well, let's start out with, I know that
0: you guys put out some recommendations. And folks, when we talk about thickness of ice recommendations, we're talking about Good, clear, solid ice, and it's ice that you just have to check. I I have a saying that ice fishing—no, there's no such thing as safe ice, but ice fishing can be extremely safe if you use common sense. Start out with what you kind of recommend for really
4: good ice for supporting people or snowmobiles. Right, and again, this is all general ice depth, so be careful. But in general, about four inches of clear blue ice, like you said. Um, is good for a person. And then about six inches for a snowmobile. And then as we move up in weight to let's say a car, you'd want about eight to 12 inches. Uh, And for a bigger truck, 12 to 15 inches. And really important to remember, especially on the lower end, that if you're finding four inches in one spot, ice can be really variable. So when, when you're on the edge there, you know, and you're finding four inches, it might only be two inches or one and a half inches, you know, 10, 15 feet away. So be really careful and cautious and, and test the ice as much as you can.
0: Oh, I couldn't agree more. Testing the ice, to me, even all winter long, because you can get thawing and refreezing. You can get springs and river flows under the ice. You can get water levels changing. And I know you like to use a drill and check the ice. I like to use a spud bar. And if you, But use something and understand how to do it. I've got some videos on my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. In fact, one was filmed at North Michigan Reservoir and checking the ice. But
4: check it as you go, especially early on. Check it almost every step or two, right? Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, the spud bar is the most efficient and fast way to do it, to get out on the ice. You just really want to make sure you know how to use it. And there's some great YouTube videos. Sounds like you have some as well. But once you can kind of gauge how to use your spud bar and what depth that equates to, to awesome safe way to to get further out on ice you
0: know and i always tell people you know and i and i know we're all guilty of this but try not to go alone because if you do fall through if somebody is there you have a much better chance of getting out especially have some rope with you and of course wearing a p uh, pfd but there's these new floatable suits that are really good but there's also some techniques if you do, if you do fall through aren't there
4: yeah, exactly. So certainly you can um, you know eliminate a lot of the issues if you have a partner or more, multiple people to throw you a rope or help you get out. But if you do find that you've fallen through and you're in a hole, the first thing is to not panic, which will, of course, be tough because the water is really cold. Um, but what's important is most folks get to the edge of the ice and try and lift themselves straight out. And then the edge of the ice keeps breaking and it's kind of like quicksand. But what you want to do is pretend you're a seal basically um, and belly up to the edge of the ice, get your elbows and hands on top of the ice and then kick your feet as hard as you can. And your body will start to become horizontal on the same plane as the ice. And then it's much easier to kind of slide and crawl onto the ice. And once you get out, don't stand up because then all your pressure's on your feet on a small surface area, keep your weight dispersed and kind of shimmy. Like I said, kind of like a seal and crawl off the ice. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's tricky, but stay calm and, and you'll get out of there. And uh, I always wear a pair of ice picks around my neck. They pin
0: together because I'll tell you what, if you've ever tried to grab the edge of that ice when it's wet, uh, it, you're, it's slippery and the ice picks will really, and you still want to kick, but now you can pull yourself a little bit. And the other thing is hypothermia is going to set in so quickly. Now we've been very fortunate in Colorado. We get, we have very few. Fatalities in ice fishing. Ice fishing is truly a very safe sport if you use common sense, but um, get you've got to get warmed up into your vehicle and change clothes or at least get the heater on right away, don't you?
4: Yeah, absolutely, and especially if you're up here in Summit County or even Grand County um, where the weather tends to stay cool more so than the front range. Um, and even be careful, even if you haven't fallen in the water, just being out on the ice, especially if it's a windy day and you don't have a shelter, um, it's really easy to lose track of of your body temp. And next thing you know, you can't move your fingers. And um, if it's snowing, it might be hard to find your way back and and you get yourself into situations. So just, just having situation, situational awareness and yeah, appropriate clothes, warm drinks, um, just being safe out there. And like you said, the ice picks are huge. They're so lightweight, easy to carry. And it is night and day trying to crawl out of the ice. I've done it both ways. Um, having those ice picks is a game changer. Well, it really is, Jake. We're out of time,
0: but is there uh, some good ice safety information on the Parks and Wildlife website?
4: Yes. Yeah, so I'll give you the website, um, and it's also easy if you just Google CPW ice fishing safety. But the website is www.cpw.state.co.us/slash. Ice Fishing Safety, or just Google CPW Ice Fishing Safety.
0: All right. Thank you so much for coming on. All great tips. We may we may bug you in a few weeks to see if there's ice forming up there. Yeah, hopefully we'll have some. And uh, thanks for having me on today, Terry. All right. J.K. from Parks and Wildlife. Uh, we're going to take time out. We come back. Um, we're going to be joined by Austin Parr, and we're going to get some places you can go fishing right now. Uh I'm Terry Wixham Outdoors, presented by... Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, brought to you in part by T-Mobile. T-Mobile is trying to become the 5G source for the outdoor enthusiasts. They are really expanding their network, and they have uh, some great end-of-year deals that you can take advantage on plans right now. <clears throat> Let's go to the phones. And joining us from Discount Fishing Tackle is Austin Parr. Good morning, Austin. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. It's uh you know what? I'm I'm getting used to saying it's been a different year this year. <laughs> uh, yeah, it we're
1: seeing like that all across
0: it, the it board. Seems, yeah, it seems like every season has been a little different, some warmer, some colder, some drier, some wetter and and that just shows you as an outdoor enthusiast You really have to be ready to adapt your game plan at the last minute uh, and don't get stuck into a pattern because there's going to be different opportunities. Now, um, a texter texted in and said there's some ice up at South Park. I don't know how good
2: it is. Have you heard much of any fishable ice? I have been hearing of some folks (laughs) being up on Terryall lately. It's been a bit spotty up there, but then with that being said, the tendencies of those temperatures to be colder than even predicted lows are are pretty common up there you'll see that maybe a low is 20 degrees and you get up to the antero and that lower part of the valley down there just holds the cold so much more uh, so sometimes those those predicted lows aren't as reliable as we would like to see uh, but in general the ice has been a spotty three inches plus same kind of thing on antero with the better ice being on the southern side of that lake now i know we're gonna
0: have some cold weather next week and hopefully that will result in some cold nights and not so much warmth during the day. And we'll lock Definitely. up a few of these mid mid elevation places. But in the meantime, well, and I've, I'll just let you know that we, uh, the Granby area, we're hearing there's not much ice. Blue Mesa had a little bit in one bay that people were skating on, but I talked to some folks up there and they said, it's really not a great place to fish. And it was shrinking. And along with that, all our boat ramps are closed.
2: So, yeah, aside from except Pueblo, for, we're uh, Pueblo. We're, yeah, we're
0: so, well, if I want to get out fishing, what are some of the opportunities I have?
2: So, to start with, with Pueblo, we know Dan Swanson's going to be coming on here a little bit later on the show, but there's been a, a pretty decent walleye bite down there, both from the boat and from the shore, with the caveat being that it's been mostly in the low-light conditions. Uh, the middle of the day has been real tough. As we get some of these fronts in, That'll change things. Um, At least it did last time. There was a good front down there. But uh, jerkbait fishing along the shorelines has been good uh, early and late in the day. But additionally, we have some fantastic late season fly fishing opportunities that this warm weather is providing to us. Uh, Places like Bear Creek and Clear Creek that should be frozen right now and close to home are definitely not at the moment. Uh, Waterton Canyon has been very good lately. But then even as you mentioned, Middle Park, the Colorado River has really good opportunities at the moment as well so just downstream from the Williamsport Confluence is all open above that and down for Byers Canyon is pretty frozen which makes sense with how much shade is down in there uh, but then additionally as you move down to the lower Colorado and get down below Pump House there's a lot of good open water down there right now too with still some very nice flows very weightable this time of year a little bit low for for a boat uh, you might get through it with a raft but in general it uh, is going to be better with the fly rods or a spinning rod and then moving down from that particular area, the eagle has been also very, very uh, productive and and uh, offers very little ice through that stretch. And, and fly fishing this time of year, you got to go small a lot of times, but there's still some brown trout that are spawning. So a lot of times I like to run a lead egg fly and then trail a uh, small midge or betis down below. Some of my favorites lately have been a, a bar, or excuse me, a craven's poison tongue has been very effective. Bars and mergers, as well as RS2s, are all very good secondary flies to go behind those eggs flies as well and
0: uh, the big thompson in uh, not too far from my house has been fishing really well too and the thing is now we're going to get some colder weather but as long as it doesn't ice up where you can't fish it these fish actually start to gather in some of the deeper holes and it becomes almost easier fishing through the winter if you're willing to put up with a few cold fingers than
2: it is then it can be all summer long absolutely and then additionally this lower water that you normally are really dreading in the summertime isn't nearly the issue this time of year because of those colder temperatures and the oxygen concentrations being much higher. So those fish, as you mentioned, will certainly concentrate there and then even once the lower sections of these rivers freeze, there's still great opportunities below tailwaters. So as you mentioned, the Big Thompson, certainly a great option there. Uh, the southern part of the front range, Waterton Canyon is a very close option if you can get above that three mile mark above the Marston Diversion. Uh, then certainly you have Deckers and Cheeseman Canyon uh, as well as the Williams Fork in uh, that whole entire valley down there, you'll have uh, several miles of open water, even in the coldest of winters, that are all fishable throughout the whole winter. And let's not forget the tailwater below Pueblo Reservoir, it can be phenomenal. Oh, man. It really can. And and the the state has done a fantastic job managing that. There's typically pretty decent flows down through there. And you'll catch not only very good-sized fish, but beautiful fish. That uh, river is very fertile, and those fish are lit up in color this time of year. And as you get into the late part of the winter and early spring, those rainbows really get moving down there. And you can catch them on a spinning rod, but then most certainly on the fly rods. Down there, we've had really good success with small red midges as well as red jujubatis patterns as well as uh, the egg flies. All of those can be exceedingly effective, and and when it's really cold up in the mountains, sometimes you'll still find those forty plus degree days on the front range that we see all up and down, and and that can be a fantastic fishery. So it's, it's a destination location; it's not just something that uh, would be a regional area. It's it's something that people travel to go to, and it's really worth your time.
0: And you know, if you want to fish up close to the reservoir, almost below the dam, with a jig, I've caught. In addition to fly fishing that river, I have caught with a jig up close, I've caught walleyes and smallmouth and wipers and trout all in a small area below the dam. So it offers variety too. We got a couple minutes left. I want to touch on one opportunity. I saw a post yesterday of the truck stocking Boyd Lake. They're dumping thousands of trout in there and that's happening up and down the front range. And a lot of times they do this even through the ice or it's getting too cold, but they're doing it now and we're going to have some time for shore anglers to really get out and take advantage of these stock trout. If they're just looking close to home, they, they can just make a quick trip and there's so many places, just check the stocking report, right?
2: Yeah, it's easy to find on Parks and Wildlife's website. Uh, you'll see that there's stocked, catchable-sized trout all up and down the front range, as you mentioned. But they're pretty darn easy to catch, too. And with these water temperatures still hovering around in the 40-degree range, we're going to have a while before we have ice even on the smaller bodies of water. And it's a great time to just get out and catch some fish in an evening or take a kid out. Uh, it, and you can catch them on a variety of different things, whether you want to go with the fly rod, a fly in a bubble is a really good way to go on stock fish, uh, or simply throwing the lure or some power bait on the bottom can all be effective ways that uh, you can catch really a good number of fish in a hurry. All right, my friend, we are running out of time.
0: Uh, Tell people where they find you and how to get a hold of you, whether it's for a guide. Do you guide
2: ice fishing too? I do guide ice fishing with the caveat being ice conditions. I just guide on the front range, so it's a lot more spotty, and every year is a little bit different when it comes to safety, so some years I guide more than others.
0: So how do they get a hold of you and where do they find you?
2: I'm a discount fishing tackle. We're six blocks south of Evans on the west side of Santa Fe.
0: All right, my friend. We will talk to you again very soon. Thank you so much, Terry. I appreciate it. You bet, Austin Parr. Before we take a break, um, he talked about that stocking report. If you go to my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, Every time the fishing report comes out, it has a stocking report attached to that. Karen puts it up. usually it comes out every other Friday. Karen puts that up on our Facebook page. One came out yesterday. It's up there now. It'll have all the stocking and condition reports on it. So follow us on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. You'll get that as soon as it comes out during the week. And then a lot of these things we're talking about, these types of fishing, if you go to my YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, there's videos there on these bodies of water right here doing those techniques so don't be afraid to go there and spend some time but really follow us on facebook in fact karen just put a link to an ice fishing a video at gramby on our facebook page terry wickstrom outdoors we're gonna take a quick time out and we come back nate Zelinski is going to join us and we're going to talk the new gear in ice fishing as he's calling us from the ice fishing show in minneapolis all that and more coming up on terry wickstrom outdoors on 104.3 the fan